Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. Good afternoon. Some of you may recognize the image that I'm showing up right here. It looks a little dark over there on the projection. But this is a scene that is common in almost every game of the Mario franchise or the Nintendo franchise, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Galaxy, and all those other fun games that I played with my boys. And this is a common scene because it is the contest with the boss. Each level has its boss and you have to beat the boss to get to the next level until you reach the final boss. And then you beat that final boss and you win the game. And every arena or every time you met a boss, there was a different scenario. Each one took place in his own little arena. Each arena is different. The more and more grandiose uh, they get, the higher up in level that you are, the fighting gets more and more intense. And this reflects other common arenas that we see in life. Uh, You got the boxing arena where you got boxing matches. Uh, It could be a raceway. Uh, You have a contest there in the raceway to see who's the fastest. The battleground could be in a classroom. Maybe you're getting bullied or maybe you're uh, suffering some issues there in your school or it could be your office. Maybe that's an arena. Maybe that is a battleground that you have to go and face every day. It could even be your own bedroom where you're trying to fight the forces of evil so that you could get to the next level of maturity. But the greatest arena where the greatest match took place, no, it was not on the cross, It was in a garden. The most epic battle between good and evil was decided in a garden. And after that decision that was made that day, humanity would never be the same again. Matthew 26, which is, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 46, if you want to follow along in your Bible, starts like this. Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, stay here while I'll go over there and pray. Gethsemane is a beautiful garden, uh, not too far from Jerusalem. My father-in-law actually took some pictures when he went this summer of Gethsemane. You can find them online. It is a beautiful garden, and this is what Jesus seeks. He seeks out this peaceful garden amidst the turmoil that he knew he would be facing soon. There is a song that talks about, there's a beautiful song about the garden and about Jesus' time in the garden and what the garden probably would remind Jesus of during this time of turmoil and challenge. It would remind him of God's goodness, of his kindness, of his peace in this beautiful garden surrounded by beautiful flowers and the olive trees, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden where God first put man where God wants us all to go back to that relationship with him. And Jesus really was the only one who could take us there, who could take us back 
to that garden, but he had to first go through this battle. Initially, when Jesus gets to the garden, as that verse 36 says, he's in a hurry. He wants to pour out his heart to the Father. He wants to do it alone. Jesus is used to praying alone. He's used to waking up very early before the sun would rise and have his alone time with the Father. But now he's bringing the disciples with him. This was an occasion where he really needed, to, needed some company during this epic battle that he would face. This was not a group prayer, but as you will see in the following verses, he really was encouraging them to pray. They did not know the times that were coming, but he knew. And so he wanted them to really pray that they would not be tempted. It says here in verse 37, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons with him, and he was beginning to feel deep anguish. That's what the verse before this one says, verse 37. That's because this garden is really an arena of, of conflict. This was a place where Jesus comes to with a lot of distress in his heart. And only Peter, James, and John went with him further into the garden. He probably left the other disciples in the periphery and took them to go a little deeper in the garden with him. And he says to them here in verse 38, my anguish is so great that I feel as if I'm dying. Wait here. Stay awake with me. Jesus really was begging for their company during this anguishing time. I mean, when have we heard the Son of God speaking this way, if not only at this time, when this epic battle was taking place in his heart, in his mind? He is open sharing his emotional state with them. That's what a true man does, by the way. We can learn, us men, we can learn what a true man does from Jesus. We don't, he's not hiding his emotions. He's not pretending, oh, everything's fine. Everything's good. We're, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this, guys. No, he, he doesn't have to do that. He's openly sharing with them how he feels. He's articulate in his emotions so that they don't overtake him. He understands what he's feeling. And he shares that openly with his closest friends. He wants them to be nearby, but he wants to pray by himself. He knows this is his battle. He knows this is what he needs to take up before the Father. The psalmist will say in Psalm 21, verse 1, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice? This was a contest between the head and the heart. Now, for us, usually a contest between the head and the heart, who usually wins? <laughs> Our heart, right away. It really wants to stake its claim. The heart almost always wins. But it's important that our hearts be given to God. Jesus was someone who constantly gave his heart to God. We read about it through all his years of ministry. He used to get up before the sun and pray constantly, giving his heart to God. God gave us all three parts of our minds, our intellect, our emotions, our will, and all of them we really need to give to God. We cannot neglect giving our emotions to God, giving our mind to God, giving our intellect to God, and for sure our physical bodies as well. If we neglect to do that at a time of distress in whatever arena you may be at, your heart may win and you will find yourself in more distress. It's important to be prepared. See, the boxer, when he goes out to box, 
He knows he's going to go into the arena. He has prepared. All these other, the, the race car driver, he's prepared to go into the arena. But are you prepared when all of a sudden you find yourself in an arena that you didn't know was going to be one? <laughs> are you prepared? And so we have to make sure that we're always prepared, giving our full selves to God so that our faith wins over. Remember, faith is not emotions. Faith is belief. Faith is trust. And our minds and our heads need to win in order to guide our heart where it needs to go. After walking a little further, he quickly bowed with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, but let your will be done rather than mine. Jesus honors his father when he comes to petition him at this time of need. He bows down with his face to the ground. That is a symbol of deep humility and reverence. His human side was fearing what was about to come. Jesus knows all things, and perhaps that was not as advantageous in being a human. Sometimes that second or third trip you have to take to the dentist, knowing what he, he's going to do to you, is worse than the first time, isn't it? Because the first time you don't know what to prepare for. But when you've been through it, it's harder to go again and saying, am I, why am I subjecting myself voluntarily to this? <laughs> so sometimes knowing what's going to happen is indeed worse. So sometimes I wonder, wow, Jesus, the burden that he bore is way beyond even our ability to understand. And his human side was, of course, fearing this. Remember, Jesus is 100% human. He's got fears. He's got emotions. He was in deep distress. How many of us would not have said the same things, knowing what was going to happen? But Jesus had no problem, though. See, this is where we have problems. Some of us has problems admitting fear or admitting anxiety, don't we? We feel like we're going to be looked at a little less if we admit we're fearful, if we admit we're anxious. They might think a little less of us. They might think we're not under control. Who's going to accuse Jesus of that? <laughs> he freely admitted it. What made him courageous was how he dealt with it. It's not that he didn't fear, because courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. Courage is dealing with the fear and triumphing. So how he dealt with it and how he triumphed over those emotions to glorify God in his human body is what makes him courageous. I mean, his initial petition sounds a lot like ours, doesn't it? Take this away from me. How many of us have prayed like that? God, please deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. Take it away. That's usually a heart reaction. And that's precisely the first words that come out of his mouth in this first time that he prays. He prayed three times. He quickly adds, though, not my will, but yours be done. That's the part that we have to remember. Take it away, Lord, but if it doesn't happen, help me deal with it. <laughs> help me accept the answer that you give. Hebrews chapters uh, 5 verse 7 says, during his life on earth, Jesus prayed to God who could save him from death. He prayed and pleaded with loud crying and tears, and he was heard because of his devotion to God. The NIV says because of his reverent submission 
In Luke's account, in Luke 22, verse 44, he tells us that he prayed so hard, such was his anguish, that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I want to clarify something. It doesn't say that he was sweating blood. Okay, that's a misconception. He was sweating so hard that his sweat was just dropping from his face like they were drops of blood. Have you ever prayed that hard? I ask you. Have you been in such anguish like this that your intense prayer session, you have to change your clothes after it because you have sweated so hard. Maybe, maybe you need to thank God that you have not faced such a trial, huh? If you haven't faced one. Or maybe you in this audience today are going to thank God that you went through something like that and triumphed. Either or, right? We're thanking God either way. Because these indeed, these arenas, these are the times when our faith is tested. Do you really believe? Who are you going to bow your face to the ground before? Almighty Father, who's in your corner? Or is it going to be the other bully? who's facing, who you're facing in that arena? Who are you going to bow down to in that case? Who will you go to? Well, Jesus can relate. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says that he went through this precisely to be able to become our adequate high priest, to know exactly what it feels like to go through times like this. No one knows how we feel except Jesus. In verse 40, Matthew 26, verse 40, after this intense prayer session, we don't know how long it lasted. Maybe it was an hour. Some of the texts uh, may give us the impression that maybe he prayed for an hour and he went back to his disciples. He found them asleep. He said to Peter, hey, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? So he was seeking that companionship. Peter, Peter couldn't deliver. <laughs> he was too tired. Couldn't you stay awake with me just for one hour? He feels so alone. Imagine that. He is in such anguish. He's in such a vulnerable position. He's seeking that fellowship from his disciples, even after praying hard for one hour. But they succumbed to the weakness of the flesh. We're going to notice here how his prayer session is broken up into three. We don't know if it was an hour each or for how long, but for however long it was, it was three sessions. And maybe because of our frail humanity, that's, that's one thing that Jesus is teaching us how to do. When I had all night prayers during that whole night, maybe, I, maybe I, for three hours I was paying attention. <laughs> and the rest of the time I was like, you know, our human mind is crazy. You start thinking of things like, why am I thinking about this? And your minds go here and your minds go there. Sometimes you hear a brother go, you know where they went. <laughs> like Peter here, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? <laughs> but I think Jesus teaches us a strategy. Hey, you know, you pray, you give your energy. And, and when you feel you're slipping away, interact, seek encouragement, and then go pray again. Maybe that's the strategy to do, right? A heads up on how to do an all-night prayer session. Because we're frail. We're weak. We succumb. And we need the companionship during those times, as Jesus did here. 
Jesus was not seeking his friends' prayers for him. I mean, who's going to pray for Jesus? Jesus is the one who prays for us, if anything. But he wanted them to be there with him. Seek that comfort. Seek that, that company. It tells us a lot about Jesus and about our human nature, doesn't it? Matthew 26, verse 41. He tells them, stay awake and pray that you won't be tempted. So he did wake them up and said, stay awake. Pray that you won't be tempted. I know you want to do what's right, but you're weak. See, this was an arena, not not just of conflict. When you're in an arena of conflict, whether it is your office, your classroom, sometimes your home, that can turn into an arena of conquest. But it really depends on your state of mind and your preparation. If you let your heart win over, it's going to be conquest over you. But if you're ready, and if you make the Father your ally, and you really seek him, then it can become an arena of conquest. Jesus did not just come to the garden at a time of great internal conflict, but it was a time when there was great resolution because he assured himself of where his strength resided. And even the Son of Man had to understand that and had to come to that point. Isn't that something? So if Jesus, the son of God, had to go through this trial, how much more do we and how much can we learn by looking at how Jesus dealt with this? See, conquest involves, first of all, strengthening. You need to find strength. And we'll go back to that verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. How did Jesus derive his strength? Did he get it from just his friends, just from the encouragement of his friends? Or did he get it from his skills or from anything else around himself? No. It says here in Hebrews 5, 7 that he prayed to God and he prayed and pleaded. He really gave his heart to God. Sometimes we think we want to be in control and, you know, we feel that loudly crying and tears seems a little out of control, you know. No, Jesus didn't think that. He did it. He let it all out. And I think we don't know how to do that sometimes. I think we become too proper and we think that, oh, well, we don't do those things. You know, we don't let it all out. But it is part of our makeup. It's part of our nature. And there are times when you just need to let it out. Let it out before the Father. Try that and really plead to him with loud crying and tears if you find yourself in that arena of conflict. It's time to do that. He was heard because of his devotion. What was his devotion? Well, he went to God first, constantly. That's who he sought out, the Lord. And guess how he got his strength? That same way. That's how he got his strength. And so if you're used to doing that, those arenas of conflict will become those arenas of conquest. Because the Lord, your father, is your go-to. And you will be reminded of where your strength comes from, like what happened to Jesus. And in Luke's account, we read the angels from heaven appeared and gave him strength. And I don't know about you, but the times that I've done this and I've had one of those deep sessions of prayer and anguish, I come out of there and I'm like, okay, let's do this. You've got renewed strength, determination. You have strength because you got it from your father in heaven. We just got to follow through like Jesus did here. Here is where faith won 
His faith won out. Here is where he poured out his humanity and accepted the cup the Father gave him to drink. It was conquest, not just for Jesus, but for all of us. Conquest from the dark forces of evil. Maybe God would not remove the cup, but maybe, would, maybe God would provide the strength to deal with the cup. Sometimes the cup's not taken away from you, but in its place, you're given strength to be able to deal with it, to be able to carry through. How will you deal with a cup that you're asking God to remove? How is your prayer with that? Are you praying, not my will, but yours be done? Are you seeking the strength to deal with the cup? Or just asking God to remove it and not possibly accepting that he's just going to give you the strength to deal with it? Because the Father can do all things. So Jesus here is embodying the human who is totally devoted to God, whose heart, mind, and strength is totally devoted to God. He knows the flesh is weak. And in the midst of his own trial, he's demonstrating how to triumph over it by seeking the strength from the Lord, by pouring out the weakness, admitting it, dealing with it face to face, not just with himself, but with his closest allies as well. Being open, brothers and sisters, is the first step to conquest. Open and admitting what you're going through, not trying to hide it, and doing so with the Lord and the Father first, pouring it out to him. Notice how he, stay, how he tells them here in verse 41, he says, stay awake. That is a synecdoche for walking in step with the Spirit. That means don't give in to the desires of the flesh because the flesh is what lulls you to sleep into a false sense of security. And it is against, the flesh is against, as Paul clearly states in Romans 8, against what the spiritual nature desires. The flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't understand what God wants. It does not know God. And yes, even though you have faith, you're still in your flesh, which means your flesh still hasn't accepted that. You're dealing with your dual nature, which is why the scripture says, don't put any confidence in it, but admit it, admit its failings. That's why Paul says, I will boast in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, who is strong? He is strong. But it takes admitting it to yourself and to others. And that's how you go to God in prayer. During these difficult hours of Gethsemane, Jesus not only had a spirit to willingly do the right thing, but he also had, by virtue of a lifelong exercise, a flesh, a body that was trained to carry out what he decided by faith. And that's, what, that's what's going to be the case for all of us, because all of us have a weak flesh, and that's a problem. But also, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, you also have died to the flesh. And now your boss of your body and your, you should be able to carry through. It's just a matter of what you're going to exercise. In verse 42, it says, he went away a second time and prayed, Father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, let 
your will be done. Did the prayer change a little? It did, didn't it? I don't know if you see it. There's a big change. All of a sudden, there seems to be more of a disposition to accept the cup in the second prayer, isn't there? By this second time that Jesus comes back to the Father, he's saying, if the cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. You will find the link listed in the description of the podcast on your favorite podcast app. With your support, I will continue to produce authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me to do. How does your prayer change about the conflict that you're facing? as you keep going to God? Should your prayers be more and more in line with the possibility that God is giving you strength to deal with what you're asking him to take away? Or are you the type that just prays once and that's it? Because <laughs> the son of God, when faced with this difficulty time, this difficult time here, he went back three times. Because guess what? Not only does conquest involve strengthening, But there's another element to conquest, and that involves submission. And that's what Jesus is doing in the second time he's praying. He's letting go. He's saying, Father, if this is what you want me to do, I'm, I'm going to trust you. Let your will be done. More and more in line with the Father. In uh, Mark's account, Mark 14, 36 He said, Abba, Father, you can do anything. Take this cup of suffering from me, but let your will be done rather than mine. This word Abba here is an Aramaic word meaning father, but it's a word that a child would use like daddy or papa or papi. You know, if you're Puerto Rican or Latin, the word Abba there implies a very deep, close connection, like father and son, but not father and older son, but father and, and, and young son. And so we see here some elements of Jesus' prayers that we should adopt as our own when we're also praying during these difficult times. There's an intimacy. Are you going to the father confident because you have that intimacy? As Paul says, we have to boldly approach the throne of grace. If you're convinced that he's your father and that he knows you deeply and you have that confidence to call him Abba, Daddy, man, that's the first thing that you can own in your relationship with God. And what's going to pull you through any situation that you go through? Because if, if the God creator of the universe is someone you can call Daddy, man, you've made it. Isn't that true? And that's what we get from Jesus' prayer here. That element of intimacy. Secondly, right away, yeah, there's that intimacy, but immediately a recognition of omnipotence. Abba, Father, you can do anything. Lord, you can do anything. You can remove the cup if you so want to. And you can give me the strength to overcome it if you so do want to. So it doesn't matter the outcome. I trust you because you're my daddy. 
You can do anything. I can trust you 100%. Wow, it seems like with those two elements of this prayer, man, we've got it made. But there's more. There's this third element here of a confession of a burden. Take this cup of suffering from me. There's a confession of a burden. Jesus is open about his burden. He doesn't hold it back. And he tells God. And we need to do that. We need to articulate what is our burden. And yes, ask God to remove it or trust that God's going to give us the strength to overcome it. And last but not least, one of the most important elements of this prayer is surrender. Let your will be done rather than mine. So we got four crucial elements. Intimacy, recognition of omnipotence, confession of burden, and surrender of will. See, that's exactly what brought the cross to us. This gospel, this good news that we now preach, we preach it every week here at the church because this is the first and foremost news of all mankind for the last 2,000 years. The only good news that there is, that because the Son of God conquered at this arena of conflict, he opened the doors for now us to have that same relationship with his Father. He's now our Father. We will reign with him. I mean, Jesus is all about this intimate relationship that gives us this confidence to approach him. Jesus prayed that the cup would pass from him but he went through it. He'd accepted it. And he went through a, a physical wrenching. I, I believe there was a brother not long ago, I forget who, who spoke about these three aspects of Jesus' suffering. A brother who preached in the Lord's Supper lesson. He talked about Jesus going through physical suffering, emotional suffering, and spiritual suffering. And indeed, that was so. We know that he went through physical suffering. We don't deny that. He died at an early age. How many of us would consider our mission statement, including dying at a young age? Speaking of mission statements, I don't, I don't think that's in anybody's mission statement. But that aligned with Jesus' mission statement. He endured the physical torture of a cross that we could never imagine in a million years what it would be like. But he also went through some emotional suffering. We see that in the garden, don't we? I mean, he's telling us. He's in deep anguish. He wants to die. How many of you have been in a situation where you'd rather just die right now? And you're not just saying it because we all say that. Oh, man, I'd rather be dead. But no, he really meant it. Have you been in a situation where you really wanted to die? No, Jesus can relate because he wanted to. He had been insulted. His friends had deserted him. Everything that you can think about that could go wrong went wrong. He was treated like a common criminal. And he also went through spiritual suffering. The suffering that he took spiritually is, is of a dimension that we could not understand. Because he took upon the burden of the guilt and punishment of sin. I mean, we could barely deal with one instance of guilt in our life. One! And he took upon humanity's burden of guilt shame and sin that's a that's a spiritual suffering of, of an order that i cannot even imagine but he did it he did it because he wanted us to have the way to the father let this garden victory be yours today 
What you need to do to ensure victory is yours is to surrender your life to him today in the watery grave of baptism because you won't win. Your flesh is too weak. You will fall asleep. You don't have the strength, physical, emotional, certainly not spiritual, but Jesus did it. And so like the scripture suggests, we are riding on his coattails. We can get to heaven, not because of anything we have done, but because of his mercy, because he did it. And so our hope, the Bible describes as being that anchor that's anchored in the Holy of Holies that Jesus put there already when he was raised from the dead so that we can now follow through riding on his coattails. Death wins now because we sinned and you won't survive your physical death. How many people have you heard that have survived their physical death? That's, a, that's an oxymoron. That cannot happen. Apart from God, you will be dead, not just physically, but for eternity. Death is the opposite of life. So how did this end? Well, we read in Matthew 26, verse 43 and 44, <laughs> when he comes back, he finds them sleeping again. They couldn't keep their eyes open. So he, he, this time he doesn't even try to wake them up. He just leaves them there <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> and he goes back and he prays a third time. Now, this, notice how he says he went away and prayed the same prayer a third time. I just want to clarify something. That doesn't mean that Jesus was reciting a prayer. And that's the prayer he recited three times. That's not how it was. The content or the theme of the prayer was the same since that was what was on his heart. You don't go before the Father and you recite a prayer. That's not the kind of intimate communication we have. You don't even do that with other people. That's not what we do with God. We have the confidence to be before our God. And even if you don't know what to say, what does the Bible tell us that the Spirit will do? He will speak for you. Even if all you can do is, ah! That's fine. <laughs> that is an acceptable prayer because it's honest. Sometimes you don't know what to say. And it's better for you to just, ah, you know. The Spirit will take up the words. Isn't that amazing? So by the time Jesus finish up, finishes up that third prayer, he was ready to take on this cup. Notice what he says to Peter right after he had unsheathed his sword in John, in John's account, John 18, 11. When Peter takes his sword to strike, right? He, he tells Peter, put your sword away. Shouldn't I drink the cup of suffering my father has given me? So by that time he had accepted it, hadn't he? By that third prayer, he was ready to go. And so we read here in Matthew 26, 45 and 46. He came back to the disciples, said to them, might as well sleep now. The time is near for the Son of Man to be handed over to sinners. Get up. Let's go. The one who is betraying me is near. So we can see he had regained his boldness. He was strengthened. He was ready to go. After praying all night in deep anguish, he knew where his strength was coming from. He had conquered the distress. This had become an arena of conquest. In the end, not just for him, but for all of humanity. <sighs> what is your garden scene? What does it look like? Where is your arena right now? Where are you fighting it? 
Think, think again about your deepest, darkest inner battle. Think about the outcome. And please know that Christ went through that garden already. And he gives you an example of what to do. Pray, submit, pray again, submit again, as many times as you need to. Seeking out the Father and gaining strength from him. One of the hardest tasks any of us will ever face is getting our will in harmony with the will of the Father. And Jesus had to do that too. How much more do we? And Jesus gives us the example of how we turn any arena of difficulty and trial into one of conquest. God bless you.